Mickness and Alice B. Olivier have been on the road for 10 years. They were in South America when the pandemic hit, and they decided to stay put. Well, they're now free to roam, at least somewhat, and the first place they wanted to head to was the Bolivian Salt Flats. Why the Salt Flats and what they found, all coming up. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manikin. Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Brian Field. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Carl Parker. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Elspeth Bayer. Jim Hart. Jansen. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. Cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Hi, I'm Elsa B. Willy Fier. I'm I'm the trophy husband running around with my wife in, uh, <laughs> in Bolivia, and we're from South Africa. And we, our blog is called Picky Picky Overland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry, you're the trophy husband. I'm not laughing at, at that at all. Something else just came across my screen here. <laughs> Now, I'd like to start with you. How hard did you have to work to to get Magnus to actually win him over? Did you pay money for this? How did you win? I just felt so sorry for the guy, I tell you. (laughs) No, she's lying. It was beer. (laughs) I coached you in with beer. Beer and barbecues. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, you, you guys are still out there traveling. I know you were locked down the last time we talked. We talked to you some time ago. Correct. You were sort of j- just staying in one spot, killing time. What did, what, yeah, what did we, you do? What was that like? We, we were in Sucre. And as we were saying, I think it's the longest we've been in one place since 2015. We haven't even been home that long. So my mom was a little bit envious of Sucre that I've been longer there than with her. (laughs) But yeah, it was, um, we got caught up with uh, everything shutting down while we were in Sucre. And then of course, after the pandemic lifted, sort of, the borders are still not open. Uh, We had good friends and uh, can only say good things about the Bolivian aduana and immigration that helped us then to extend our paperwork. So now we've got a little bit of freedom and the legal paperwork to travel around Bolivia. Well, we could, um, the first six months, the the lockdown was really, really strict. You could go out once a week on your passport number that ended and you can go out for two two hours or three hours and only 500 meters or so away from your home. So that was really strict. Um, and then luckily they started to ease up a little bit. So the restaurant started to open up a little bit and we could They're walk around. They're still very down. strict. They're still very strict. But now at least we can move around in, in Bolivia. The, the land borders to all the other countries are not open, but we can move around in Bolivia. There's still not a lot of touristy things open. Um, some of the museums only started opening in the last two or three weeks, but it's only the bigger museums. So it's still not 
really a, a, a tourist opening. Uh, but at least for us, we can roll the wheels and we can go and see parts of Bolivia we haven't seen yet. Now, as you guys mentioned, you're from South Africa. I mean, and for those who recognize the accent, they'll be able to spot it right away. What, <laughs> why did you guys stay? I, I think we, we probably talked about this, but I'm sure some people will be wondering if they haven't heard the other one. What made you decide to stay? Did you, did you not anticipate what it was going to be or did you just figure what comes will come? I think for us, it was a combination of a couple of factors. And first of all, for us, it was the motorcycles. So we were in uh, Salar de Uyuni when the, uh, they started whispering that they might be locking the country down. So a friend of ours in Sucre said, well, guys, I think come to a bigger city where we can have more maneuver or we can figure out a lot more things. And it's maybe a little bit better if you do get uh, caught up. So when we got to Sucre, I think within a week and a half, they started closing schools, they started closing universities, they started shutting down um, uh, transportation. So by the time we actually could sit down and say we need to maybe uh, organize the motorcycles to be fl- uh, flown out, they've already closed uh, the cargo as well as the flights. So for us, yes, for the motorcycles, it was a problem. We could have shipped ourselves out. But because we're in South Africa, all the flights that was still open or available for us was to fly either through the USA, over to Europe, and then only down to South Africa. And it became so expensive. So we said, well, this is part of travel. We're going we're gonna to just see where it goes and try and sit it out. And that's what we ended up doing. But there was also not clear at that stage, it was the beginning of this whole COVID thing and then, you know, you've talked to a lot of people across the world and it's like, no, no, it's going to be a one month, maybe two months, you know, just set it out. Let's have a look what's happened. Also, Bolivia is landlocked and it's not the easiest easiest country to get anything in and out. And all the factors that, that played into it just made us decide to, man, just, let's just set it out. And yeah. I mean, the worst, what's the worst that can happen? Nothing. I mean, we, and whether we go go home and sit at home, there's no different sitting at home or sitting sitting here, which in the end was a good decision because in South Africa, they locked down cigarettes and, and the, uh, the alcohol. <laughs> alcohol. And that, that's not, <laughs> I don't smoke, but the alcohol, <laughs> the alcohol thing, not having beer, that's a problem. Yeah. So, so it's a good, so actually in, the, in that instance, it was, a, it was, I mean, whether we sit here or there, it, was, it would have made no, no difference. They um, locked down alcohol the, in South Africa? <laughs> yes, it's Man, bizarre. it's bizarre. You can't <laughs> believe this nonsense. But yes, they locked down, they, they banned alcohol. And banning alcohol and cigarettes, well, what did you think, what do you think is going to happen? The illicit <sighs> trade started. So now there's illicit trade in South Africa that the government will most probably never get rid of. Yeah, there's so, no logic to why no logic they decided it. I think it's yeah. just one of those things where you have to say, oh, okay, it's an African country. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just think that like you think about it from the outside, you look at it and you think, okay, people smoke, they drink. Um, some people are addicted to either or both of those and you start to take them away and boy, you, you've created some problems almost immediately. It's actually well, worse. No, yeah. they, they, they and the fact is that they didn't achieve anything by doing that. All they did was they created the illicit, uh, illegal the black market, market now, black market, just, which yeah. is, they will never get rid of it. it, mm. it South Africa's government doesn't have the means to, to get and, rid of it. And uh, the South Africans became experts in brewing their own alcohol out of pineapples. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All of a sudden, pineapples and yeast were sold out. <laughs> <laughs> it's like here, toilet paper was sold out. <laughs> yes. you, couldn't, yeah. you couldn't get exactly. it anywhere. Yeah. 
With us, it was pineapples yeah, and yeast. Yeah, yeah, that's a funny thing. In, in the first world country, the toilet paper ran out. In the third world country, the, the, the booze and the cigarettes were stopped. <laughs> well, well, lucky for you guys, you hung around. You, you had as many cigarettes yeah. as you wanted, which was none, I assume. But no. the, the yeah. beer you guys has, have been consuming, I'm sure it shows up yeah. on the for, yeah. for gross and national don't throw product. Away. Yeah. The wine, the wine, the wine in Bolivia is, wine is amazing. Is so yeah. we must actually be honest and say we probably had more wine than beer in this country. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Because <laughs> I know you have a, a penchant for beer. But but in any case, so what was it like? What was the lockdown for you? Man, I must say it wasn't, we, we were really productive. We kept productive We uh, because we made a new motorcycle brand, the luggage that we're doing. And our friends in, in Europe and in, in America help us in the manufacturing. And so we, at least with, with Wi-Fi and all the stuff, we could get a lot of that the, uh, designing and stuff we could done. Also a lot of work with our, with our properties that, that she had to get done. Um, so no, it was really productive. It, was, it, it got to a point where I must be dead honest to say that it, it, got, it, if, it, it, gets, it gets to you because it's the same. It's like an open jail. It's like Groundhog Day. (laughs) And in in Sucre, it was really like Groundhog Day because even the weather didn't change. If you, a person that really like a constant weather pattern, Sucre is your city. I mean, we we started telling our friends, is there never clouds? Is there never wind? Is there never rain? And then I look, no, it's there. It's coming. It's coming. Well, we left to eventually it opened up. And just before we left for the first time, we actually saw clouds and rain. (laughs) But yes, it was Groundhog Day. The, but you know, the, the truly thing. spoiled will only are the only ones that'll ever complain. There's no rain. There's no clouds. <laughs> no bad exactly. weather. Yeah. yeah, that's why we didn't want to complain. But man, if you woke up in the morning, it's 25 and it's sunny. It's like no, it can't be. We just need some change. Yeah. We can't yeah. roll the wheels, we, but we yeah. just want some change. <laughs> rain. But we also decided at some stage that maybe we must fly to the US because the US looked like it sort of. The, the, the restrictions in the U.S. was a lot less than anywhere else in the world. We thought, well, maybe let's go to the U.S. But that also complicates. You have to have a COVID test here and then you have to have one day. And maybe we can't come back because our visas are running out. So every decision that you make, is there's always something later on that can backfire on, on you. So that's why we just decided. Man, just out but, but to be honest, it was seven months uh, in Sucre. But, but the seven months really actually just feel like two months because we've made – fantastic friends we've met such interesting local people and yeah as Mechna said we were actually quite productive <laughs> so it was good for us <laughs> yeah that that's the one thing Jim is that um you know we always say travel slowly you know this this was, <laughs> this slow. was slow but <laughs> I got photos of, of ladies that that posed in dresses for us that I've never would have gotten if it wasn't for this we made friends that we never would have gotten um, and people told us and showed us stuff. We met the, the old tourism minister of um, of uh, Bolivia. Had stunning time with him and, and the stories he told us. He unfortunately passed away three days before, no, a week yeah, ago. A week ago, yeah. But man, it is it is incredible. The 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 the, the experience we got staying is it overblows um, anything of the worst that that was the fact that we had to stay here or something like that. So so then your response to to my question that I'm going to pose then is probably expected or predictable, but in hindsight, knowing what you know now, knowing what you've been through, stuck in that that horrible sunny city with the blue skies, (laughs) would you do it again? Would you make the same choice? I would, I would rather go stay in, in no, well, yeah, this is difficult. If, no, no, if it, if it happens to us again, I won't cry, but uh, I would next time really like to be next to the ocean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if I can be picky. Yeah. 
I wouldn't. I wouldn't have said if if we were sitting in a uni, I would have definitely make a plan to get out there to either Sucre or La Paz or a little bit of a bigger city. If you're sitting where and where. In a uni, because a uni is really small. A uni is about the size of a matchbox and it's two And there's not much there. And there's not much going on there. So I would have made a plan to get to a big, we would have in any case made a plan to get to a bigger city. It doesn't matter what what happened. But um, I think Sucre was also one of the more stricter cities because they did the same here as in America. They had, for the first period of lockdown, uh, a a government controlled. uh, regulations. And then later on, when they started easing up, they made it the municipality's choice of what, uh, and the region's choice of how they want to run it. And Sucre was the extreme city. So we we sort of landed up in, in the most conservative city in Bolivia. So where we could hear a lot of people in La Paz and in Santa Cruz is going around. They can be in the borders of their region. We in Sucre weren't even allowed to ride our own motorcycles in town. Um, so they were very strict, but um, in hindsight, good for them. They had one of the lower counts. They've really managed it really well. But, you know, the, the funny thing is that a lot of the small towns, when we started to ride out of Sucre now again to, to go to the Salar and just make a loop to go back before the, the elections, because elections was another thing that's, that was going to be uh, violent in Bolivia, well, which, which, which luckily didn't happen. But there's a lot of small little towns that literally the, the roads to the town, they, they, they uh, cordoned it off. off, they fenced it off, and they made massive um, 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 signs. signs that says, it all foreigners stay away. No, well, it actually and, just said no stopping no allowed stopping in the village yeah. or in the town. So it means the locals, not not foreigners like in tourists, but local yeah. people. So if you're not from that town, they don't want you're you. You're not from that town. Stay, stay and away. And they, they still yeah, they, have, uh, some of the towns still do that. Uh, even now that it's eased up a lot, they still don't want any through traffic in their towns. So mm-hmm. they are really conservative. Yeah. But then the town has only got two cases, and then they will say, you see, it's because we walk out. There's no cases here. Yeah. So we say, but we only want to stay in a hotel. No, 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 no. You need to move on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, there was all kinds of people that, that packed up and left. You, you uh, heard our piece there on Southward Chronicles mm. with Jeremy and Elle. Yes. Um, you heard them stay, and they're eventually yes. back home now. What do you think of the travelers that, uh, not to what you think of the travelers, but what do you think about the travelers' decisions, the travelers that, that packed up and went home? Do you think that was a mistake? Do you think everybody could have just stayed hunkered down if they had the time, you know, all things being equal? And, no, I, uh, think, no, I, think, I think, think it differs too. from country to country. Mm. And people, I mean, everybody's, the, the finances are different. Some people are, are spending less finances being at home, maybe with a parent or with um family or, or just being home or just yeah. being home and, and so I think every every person is the same and there's a lot of complications in this what about your bike what you know you're going to come back or you, you're not going to come back so I think every person the decision they made at the time most probably was for them the right decision um, to go so I, I would not I would never I even in this case criticize anybody where they go no go um, for us the decisions we made I think yes I would have maybe said like as we say said at the beach yes maybe we forgot to Going back home, we could have seen appearance and all this kind of stuff. But on the other hand, we have a very rich experience being here. But the the people that we did speak to and, and their decisions to either go back home or stay made sense in, in their in the decision making they had to do at the time it, for them with their It was also such an unsh- unsure time for everybody that nobody really knew is it going to be two weeks, two months, mm. two years. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it, it really depended on where the traveler were. 
what country, what is the situation with their vehicle. Uh, for us, we've uh, unfortunately, Bolivia has had a very bad record with uh, confiscating vehicles. So we were super conscious about that and super careful about that. Um, and it, it did take us quite a few emails, but people were in the end very helpful. But it took them quite a couple of months to arrive at the point that, yes, this is unusual. We actually need a new regulation for this. Can you, can you talk a little bit about confiscating vehicles and the reputation Bolivia has? Yes. Yeah, so uh, what happens is I think it's the because Bolivia is so landlocked, I think a lot of the decisions they take when it comes to their uh, customs uh, side of, 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 let's call it business, is to protect the influx of just anything coming into Bolivia. Yeah, there's always the illicit side and there's always the corruption side. But overall, they're trying to just protect their own uh, area. And because countries like Paraguay, that's quite next to them, if we read up a little bit about the history and what has happened, it's not helped their case to protect what they bring into the country because the borders are, there's a lot of green borders where people can just slip in and out. They just became over cautious and over um, critical about vehicles coming into the country. So they've got a high importation tax, which is one of, except for their natural materials that they've got, the mining industry, which is probably one of their biggest incomes. And I think it's just their way that they protect it. And unfortunately, the travelers like us that brings in vehicles fall into that unsure category. Are you really just going to travel through my country or are you going to sell the vehicle in my country? Also, what sorry, what happened um, with, in especially in the same with Peru? So people, uh, this this obviously criminal activity. They steal cars in in Brazil and in Chile. They bring it into um, Bolivia through the through the green borders, and they just stay here. And how to do that was, I said, if you if you'd one day over your tip confiscated, done, bye bye, see you again. Uh, no. yeah. So Peru that that Peru now at least have changed the the regulations, but I would, as a traveler, still not not um, take my chances of going over my tip. But if they give you, and the other thing is that your tip and your and your visa is not necessarily corresponding. So your tip might run out four or five days before your visa. And if you don't know that, you get to the border and they just take your bike. And it's not because they are souls. It's just, they, they there's so much. Another thing is that, that we figured out is that we wanted to do for our visa. The ladies was really, really helpful in Sucre. And it, it's one of the good things that we stayed in Sucre because it's smaller. They really tried to help us, but they're sitting with a lot of uh, drug problems with people uh, um, trafficking drugs between per, per, uh, Bolivia, Brazil, and these other countries. And then they they um, um, ditch the system to try and stay longer and those kind of things. So they they really strict on the on that stuff. And it's not because they want to be against the normal tourist, you or me or somebody. It's because they try. They're sitting with this massive influx of people that doesn't belong here and, and it's it's a it's a criminal trade and all this kind of nonsense. Yeah, I think what we try to do is just understand the system and not get upset because every country has got a reason why they're doing and they, they're there to protect their citizens. Um, so we just said, okay, we're not sure. Unfortunately, we've known of too many cases where vehicles were confiscated. So that just made part of our decision to stay put and sit it out. Mm. You said mentioned TIP, by the way, which is yes. an acronym for a temporary import permit. Is yes. that right? Correct. Yes. Right. So you obviously had things that were going to run out. How did the renewal process go? I mean, how did you manage to stay there and, and be legal? 
so what happened is uh, initially we weren't legal, not ourselves. Our motorcycles, uh, the tip again, as Mechna says, if you come into the country, for some reason, our motorcycles got a longer uh, visa than what we got for ourselves. So <laughs> it was never on the <laughs> same timeline. So first our visa ran out and we went to see immigration because it's two different uh, departments. At immigration, immigration, they just said, no, no, but you're a tourist and our rules say you can only be 90 days for a 12-month period in Bolivia. So we're like, yes, we know, but we locked down. We, and, and she said, no, you have to go out. And I said, yes, I can go out, but I'm here with a motorcycle. My motorcycle can't go out. Oh, no, she doesn't know. We must then wait until the borders open and we've got five days to go. Otherwise, we pay penalties. Oh. So it started, <laughs> you take deep breaths and say, okay, I understand what you're saying, but it does not make sense. Can you ask somebody and we come back? So we come back a week later and we ask the same question. Eventually, we got uh, uh, one of the friends we've met started going with us to, to them to say, okay, what is the latest that's come out? And then they started giving us feedback and say, okay, they acknowledge there is a problem. Head office is looking at these new re regulations is coming out in two weeks. So just come back in two weeks again. And that's how it was carrying on and on until I think it was for end of Ju July. And they had an official newspaper uh, notification that said uh, the pandemia is over. Although the borders is not open, it, they can slowly now start opening some of the areas. And then we realized, okay, there was a little small print that says, Anybody, and they specifically have got a problem with Venezuelans at the moment. And they started writing notes that Venezuelans and foreigners need to report to um, the immigration, which we went, then did. And then they started helping us with the process. Mm -hmm. And for us, in the past, we wanted to ask for more than 90 days in the country. And they said, no, as tourists, you can't get it. You have to do a one-year work visa. But in this time, they actually changed it where we could apply for a six-month work visa, but independent, just showing we are earning money ourselves. So they did change the way they reacted, and it, it was actually a very positive experience. Wow. Expensive. Being an expensive. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm sure. But, and, you, and you guys couldn't have been the only ones there. There had to be a lot of people. Do you have any idea of the number of people that were in the same situation as you, foreigners there, extending their visa? Not, I don't know in, about visas, but no. on the uh, aduana side, uh, on the customs side, um, the guy I spoke to or dealt with said they are aware of about 40 vehicles in total of foreigners that's in the country. But the mm. foreigners are not necessarily there. Yeah. There was a lot of um, in and out for, for Venezuelans, Argentinians, um, yeah. people that's in the country, but it's local South Americans. But Tourists like us, I, I don't uh, think. I think we were, we, we've like only met, uh, we, we've met uh, one couple from Switzerland that was backpacking. Um, but yes, there was not as many that no, we've met. Well, because 40, that's not very much. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But look, the other thing about Bolivia is that a lot of people just run through Bolivia. They do, they eat the, the death road, they eat La Paz, they eat the Union, and they bugger off out of, out of Bolivia. Never seen anything else of the, of the country. I don't think that I don't think we need another year to just see whatever all the other stuff is in this country. We've we've we're <laughs> we frank, did, our friend yes. that we've read we've read in yeah. places now that absolutely blew my mind. I was always under the impression or the my opinion was that, that Peru is the adventure capital of South America. 
I think Bolivia is, is beating that, but Bolivia has got um, the, I think, I think the it's more, the, a little bit more challenges yeah. that you have to deal with. I them. think it's a, the best kept secret at this stage. Yeah. Wow, really? <laughs> now, yeah. now you guys are on a round the world trip. You're, uh, you're obviously, I think you're making your way north, but I, I kind of think you're really not making that much headway. It seems, I, I think you're going backwards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well, but, let's yeah. put it this way. The only, we, we, we're still in South America, but we haven't seen, we've only seen the south of Brazil. We still really mm-hmm. want to explore the north of Brazil and then we still want to see quite a, f- a bit of uh, Bolivia and we're getting the opportunity now um, but yes other than that I think we've covered a fair bit of uh, South America. <laughs> yeah, I think after this we'll either move to you in, uh, in Canada if we can and then or, or we will go to Europe and, and do the problem with the Asia route or is back that to Africa. Yeah, we'll go back to Africa but the problem with the Asia or, route is that you have to move all the time and it's uh, there's winters and it's you know it's, it's not like you can you can just relax and, and travel as, as quick or as, as slow or as fast as you want to, like in South America. South America is actually, for, for overlanding, South America is a very, very nice uh, destination. Yeah, the weather plays a pattern, but not as much. Not as bad. Well, and yeah. you guys are working on the road, so it's not like you're using your, your vacation money. You're Correct. still making no, a living. You've designed your life around this. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned you just started um, a, a new uh, a company. I think yeah. you're making gear with that, aren't you? So yeah, so we, we had the the, the the ATG, the all-terrain gear that we had years ago in South Africa. We sold, but we started the new company, Turkana, and Turkana is that piece in in Kenya, between Kenya and uh, in Ethiopia that, that nobody ever goes to. So we started the company that makes motorcycle luggage, um, um, all those kind of stuff, and then we're going to branch out into four by four to make um, uh, luggage and systems that, that that goes into four by fours as well. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, nice. I mean, but it's a long project, and and um, it now works better because we've got partners in America and, and Europe that that's able to do that. When we were just in South Africa, it's very difficult to to you you need partners to to assist um, in in those countries or regions to to do it properly. And you can manage to do all this well on the road. I mean, basically with no home, living <laughs> out of your saddlebags. <laughs> I think we got used to this lifestyle that uh, for us, um, wherever we can open up the laptop and there's good Wi-Fi, we can settle down for a few days and work. And we also got into a bit of a rhythm. Uh, We don't just travel every day and sightsee every day. There is definitely, we we work as if we're still at home. You know, we we sort of take long weekends, but uh, our long weekends might be in the middle of the week or, you know, whatever suits us. But we, we still try and have a, I won't say normal, but a a normal type of uh, um, day for ourselves. So we have got our obligations. We've got our companies we look after. But it's also not not something that happened overnight. So we're not only on holiday. We're going to take just a quick break. I've got a couple of things I want to tell you about, but when we come back, we've got a, a lot more. And you know, the great thing about McNiss and Elsby is they have so many little tips just in the general conversation. There's just so many nuggets that you can pick up. Anyway, stay with us. The Atlas throttle lock is the most finely designed and machined throttle lock I've ever seen or used. It really is a work of art, but more importantly to me is how it works. It's slim, easy to install. Uh, It's a metal mechanism with two buttons on it. One button for engage, the other for disengage. Basically what it does is it holds your throttle in whatever position you have it in when you press the engage button. 
That way you can relax your hand to avoid cramping or sore wrists when you ride those sort of long stretches of road. Um, although I find it so easy to engage and disengage, I'm, I can use it on smaller sections of road where I wouldn't have otherwise used uh, the type of throttle locks that I've tried in the past. Now, even though it's called a throttle lock, it doesn't actually lock anything. You, you can still smoothly roll the throttle on and off slim, simply by twisting the grip. It's kind of like people refer to these as, as cruise controls, but they're not really cruise control because it, it doesn't adjust your throttle as you go. It just holds your throttle position, which is extremely handy. So if you begin to climb a hill, for instance, and you've, you've set your throttle position, you're cruising along at a speed and the bike loses a bit of speed, all you have to do is twist your throttle a little bit. And the thing automatically adjusts and then holds it wherever you stop twisting it at. Conversely, on the other side of the hill, when you need less throttle, you back the throttle off a bit. And again, it stays engaged at that position that you left it there. And the engage and disengage is extremely easy. It's all at your thumb right beside the throttle. There's no searching with your fingers to try and push something forward to engage it or reset it or anything like that. It's all by your thumb. Engage and then adjust as you feel free to adjust as you go and then disengage when you're done. I mean, it really, really is beautiful. And it's universal too. It's easy to take off one bike and put onto another. So you don't have to give it away if you sell your bike, which I think is really important. You just unbolt it, put it on your new ride. The website is atlasthrottlelock.com. And please mention Adventure Rider Radio anytime you deal with them. Tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Atlasthrottlelock.com. Well, we had a heat wave here and I was getting my last ride of what I considered the summer in. Uh, I, I have a worn out tire, so I was going to stick to the roads, but I ended up finding myself on a road that deteriorated into a trail full of mud, rocks, ruts, and the rear tire wasn't helping me at all. So I'll tell you, there was a lot of peg waiting as I tried to keep the bike up and tried to find traction everywhere I went with it. Slip sliding away, honestly, it was an absolute blast. But what really made it more fun, what made, what gave me the control I needed, I absolutely needed with this rear tire being bald or next to it, was my IMS foot pegs. My feet stayed planted no matter how I was leaning, no matter what rocks or bumps I hit that or that surprised me climbing the hills. I felt like I could do anything with, with my IMS foot pegs. It just allowed me to shift my weight around. The, the extra width gave me um, the, uh, the extra stability that I needed on the pegs and gave me a little bit more leverage as well, which, you know, for a 500 plus pound bike going through obstacles uh, where really, you know, dirt bike is far more suited, you really need that. IMS products makes amazing foot pegs. And they've got a full line of foot pegs for adventure motorcycles. They put in their, their 44 years, 44 plus years, I guess, of designing and building products for motorcycles into their full line of motorcycle foot pegs that they've designed specifically for adventure motorcycles. Check them out at imsproducts.com. Don't forget to throw in there. You heard them on Adventure Rider Radio. It's imsproducts.com. <laughs> well, you did manage to escape Sucre. You hit the road. Where yes. did you go and why? First thing we did is we hit back to the Salar de Uyuni. Okay, so let me just interrupt you here. You're going to yes. have to explain what the Salar de Uyuni is. Okay. So the Salar de Uyuni is a 4,000 square mile, I think it's about 10,000 square uh, kilometers, kilometers uh, salt flat. That was actually, as we understand it, part of the prehistoric um, uh, 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 seabed that lifted up, it got dry, and it, it, it solidifies there with um, little islands in, in it. Um, so, so it's the world's largest, largest salt, salt flat. flat. And it's yeah. about 12 billion tons of salt in that. It's about 12 kilometers deep. Um, 
and I'm 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 saying that under correction, I might be I might be wrong, but it's it's really deep. They've got um, it's it's a massive massive salt salt like there's actually crustaceans and and um, uh, coral that they found. You know, okay. Um, but it's clean. It's, it's big. Um, really interesting. Very interesting yeah. place. It's it's, um, it's a freaky experience to ride into something that you have no bearing what's going on around. There's no no place to see. I mean, here and there you get a volcano right in the distance. You know, okay, well I need to keep a bit left and all this kind of stuff. But there's really actually people that got that got lost, lost on there. the Salar. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, it, it's it's an amazing place if you then you talk to the locals of the experiences of um, foreigners coming in and think, oh, what how bad can this be? It's the biggest salt lake that I can ride around. But we've actually heard some horror stories uh, stories of people getting lost on the flats. Yeah, and it's like it's like sun. I mean, you have to have proper sunglasses. The UV is so UV is, high there. It's very high because yeah. everything's getting everything's reflecting off the salt back on you. <laughs> it's like being in the snow, it's but like just with snow. a very high UV. Yeah. So. The first time we were at the Salar, it was wet. And as we explained with uh, the, the water, if it's on the Salar, it's probably about between five centimeters and uh, maybe 10 or 15 centimeters deep at places. But it, it, it is just enough that if you ride with your motorcycle on it, that it, it creates damage to your electrical so I think I just mentioned that in uh, the one of the Dakar rallies, they also did a part of the flats and they had so many motorcycles specifically that uh, couldn't carry on riding because of the damage they picked up. Mm. So we were the first time around very cautious and we just did the normal tourist thing. We rented a car, went out on the Salar, take, <laughs> take the photographs with the mirror and, the, <laughs> and it was really amazing. Um, and then when uh, lockdown was over, we were like, where are we going next? And it was like, doesn't matter. The Salar is dry. We are going with the motorcycles to the Salar. And for us, it was amazing. I think partly because there were no Tourist. We had, I mean, I took a picture of one of the islands and showed it to a tour operator that we know. And she said, I've never seen that island without a vehicle. And here we at that island and it's only two motorbikes standing there. Uh, <laughs> so, wow. No, no, it was no, it's, absolutely, it's absolutely amazing. amazing. We, we camped on the Salar for one night and I think everything just aligned to give us a bit of a plaster after the lockdown down there. It wasn't cold. There wasn't a lot of wind. Uh, we could even find a little bit firewood. It was just picture perfect for us. Mechnes took the most amazing night photography photographs. So, yeah, we we really, we it, felt it better. <laughs> <laughs> that, that two days there made up for the, for the yeah. time. And, and probably you're, you're collecting loads and loads of photographs for your Instagram account, which, oh, which we'll put the Instagram, your Instagram account in the show notes for this episode uh, on our website so people can go because you oh, have just you. such Thank incredible you. photos. <laughs> it's so inspirational looking at, at, at what you guys are doing. Uh, but I was going to just mention about the salt flats. It, it, it's at like nearly nearly 12,000 feet, uh, I think is what it is, or, or 3,700 yes. meters, yeah. something 3, like that. So, yeah. so it's very high, which I guess explains some of the UV yes. as well. Yes. Um, it, it's yes. quite a spectacular thing. And the way you're describing it is you can ride on it and not see the, hori the horizon. Basically, you're just looking at salt then. Yes. Well, yeah. you do now and again see uh, some of the islands. So if you uh, pay attention, you're always in the horizon, see some point of volcano or something so you can, sort of you can have a bit of a reference but i can also imagine that you can get very lost if you don't pay attention if it gets a bit misty or, um, yeah, or, or you can't see the, the horizon and then it gets really confusing but we you know we, we you, you ride you close your eyes for i close my eyes for i try to do it for a minute and 
LCB and Frank was just riding normally. By the time I opened my eyes, they were like way off me. I was I was so completely um, you lose direction, you lose direction so quickly, so quickly that mm-hmm. <laughs> you feel like it's like a stupid person. <laughs> I've had something similar to paddling in fog on large bodies of water, yes. where yeah. it's very foggy, and and with that you get you have no reference at all. As a matter of fact, you ha- you have no, no sort of demarcation point with, with sky and land. And yeah. it's yeah. it's disorientating and and quite often as you paddle like I, I put my compass in front of me and realize I'm doing circles and I could swear yeah. I'm going perfectly straight. Perfectly straight, yes. yeah. yeah. The other thing about the Solari is that there's um, sinkholes or potholes, and if you go 80 hundred, well you can drive 80, you can still do something at 80. But let's say if you go fast like 100 to 150 kilometers an hour, you really want to. And you hit one of them, man, you're going to go gonna down. You're going to dig yourself. And, the, and the, the salt is so rock hard that I broke a tent peg trying to get it into the salt. Oh, wow. So it's a very, and it's very corrosive on your tires. It's a, yeah. it eats your, it, I, th- I think you'll, if you do that a couple of times, you'll, you'll, you'll kill a tire. But it's, good. it's an amazing location. It's, uh, I actually walked there and I mean, I didn't read a lot about this a lot before we went and I said to Mechnes, Yes, it feels like we're in a Star Wars scene. And he says, well, there was actually a Star Wars shot here. <laughs> and I can understand why. Uh, the the one island is just the only thing that you see is giant cacti no, the everywhere. Yeah, the seven ideas, all this cacti, and I say they grow about two centimeters a year. But it's because there's nothing. <laughs> and, and you're in the middle of the salt flat with all these giant cacti and these beautiful little yellow birds, and they call them cacti birds. <laughs> like, yeah. right. Now, is, is there any industry there or anything? Are they mining the, the salt they flat? They do mine salt. They do mine salt, and it's uh, it contains something like 70% of the world's known lithium reserves. The lithium reserves, reserves is, it's a bit of a, a sore point to some of the locals because the, uh, the reserve is a national park. But a big part of it has actually been given to industry. So we didn't venture into that area. They don't really allow you to go into that area. But yes, we do believe like any other national park, there is the the war between the people and the industry. And now along the edge of the Solar, there's, there's local communities and they've stopped tourism a while back. So, so people can't go and just build a resort there or something like that. So that, that sort of keeps it pristine yeah. in what it is. Mm. Um, but yes, the, the, but it man, it's a big, politics it's a, it's around a, it's it, politics but it's, around, it's, it's, but it's so, a big place. And so, and the, a lot of the locals use it as a transport route because it's a straight out route right across the, the large, you don't have to go around it. Um, so is that marked where, where they have it? Do they put poles along no, or something? Well, they is Sort of a main road. And um, as we spoke to a lot of guys that's in like the ex-tourism minister we spoke with, he said that people do know. So they sort of keep to a track and you can see the salt being so hard. You can see where the the sort of road is running. Um, But they sort of keep to that because with the rain and the water moving over the salt flats, they do not know where the sinkholes is or the potholes is. And you can bury a vehicle and not find it again if you're not careful. Um, even him uh, with a four by four with friends to explore the parameters to actually decide from a tourism point of view what can be exposed. And even they ended up with their Land Rover's front totally into a, a, a hole and they had to walk and go and find somebody to come and pull them out. So although they, yes, they do use it as a route, uh, they conservative enough to sort of try and keep it to one track. So these holes you're talking about, they're, they're sort of rotten areas in the salt? 
It's like you, know, you so have a, a, a sinkhole uh, in a road, you know, where the, the ground would have just eroded there, away. So it's a wide open hole, but it's hard to see because it's all yeah. white. But you don't see it. Right. Yeah, and, and there's a little crust going over it. It forms over it, but you don't see it. It's a very thin, it's, it's very like thin if you're on an ice lake, you know, yeah. you can, uh, you guys that know ice and snow and that thing, you can see how thick is the crust and where you can actually go and venture onto the lake when yeah. it's iced over. And it's similar with salt. In some places it's very thin and others it's thick and it depends on the water currents underneath the ice uh, underneath the the salt as well oh so salt there's water under the salt yes there's actually you that you don't know when you start riding on the solar our tour operator that took us out the first time when the solar was wet actually took us to the eye of the solar so where they reckon most of the water comes from. And he actually says that although there's a lot of water on the Salar when it rains, the Salar always have water. And the water actually gets moved with the wind. And we experienced it the one evening we stayed for night photography and the wind picked up. And you can actually see it. We were joking and saying there all the water is going to its chilly because you can actually see how it just started moving with the wind. Like a storm surge where, where the water piles <laughs> yes. up on one side. Wow. So yeah. it's really, there's so much to this amazing piece of land. I tell you, it's... it's the, the, so, what, I've, what, I've re- what I've read, sorry, to, to, um, on, a, on an article was that I read it this morning when I did a post on um, on Picky for, for the photography one. There's a, it's such a flat, when it's got water and stuff on it, it's so, so flat and so big. It's the biggest mirror in the world. And the, the, the GPS people use it to, uh, to calibrate the GPS satellites and stuff around the world. I, I don't know how it works. It's just, I read it this morning. Yeah, I, I've read that as well. And, and it's, I guess they're beaming down. And, and I guess being that it's, um, I think that, I think the salt flat is, is, is very, very flat from what I understand, like maybe varying yeah, three feet yes. or a meter or something like that. Yeah. And, and I guess that's why they can, they can sort of take a shot down at that. And they know that's a, a set height and yeah. easy to set their altimeters for that. Yeah. And very the, visible. Yeah. Now, the funny thing is that the, 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 it does taper a little bit to the edges of the edge of the solar. And that's why you can't just go on the solar at any place. Because it's always wet around, so there's this marsh piece of. Ask us. We, yeah, ask we, us. we, we actually we, we actually tried bikes. it. Um, so yeah. <laughs> That's a story so, we want to hear. Yeah, so, so we, we wanted. We saw that we saw the engines to the to the solar from this hotel that we stayed before the, the day before we got home. And like, oh, I'll quickly ride up there and we could take some photos. When we come back. Well, it ain't happened because you you're riding to literally a piece of cake that's like. But it's very tricky it's on very the eye. Tricky. As you come towards it, it looks like a nice oh, little nice. white crust on top of everything. So it's fine. And the next minute that crust breaks <sighs> and underneath is just mud. This <laughs> sticky rubbish mud that just sits on everything. Yeah. And it's a brine salt. So the entire rim of the, the, the solar is this um, mud thing. So there's only places where you go onto the solar or where they actually into a, sit into a small little village that they actually made a road. Those, yeah, they made a, a, a road that, that goes in there. I guess I've always pictured in the, in the rainy season where the rain builds up on the, on the flat that the rain is sort of building up on top. But really, I guess what it's doing is it's, it's raising the water level. The water level is very close to the surface then and it's coming up. Is that what's happening? Yes. I also, yes. I think also it's the edges of the solar uh, where it's sort of um, a marshland. It's not totally the full salt crust, but it's going into what is the normal antiplano, which mm. is where they would have the uh, llamas and the uh, cultivating areas. And I think it's just where it changes that it's definitely, it's more like a marshland. Mm. 
Right. But they say, but just to give you a perspective, the the solar is a hundred times bigger than the Bonneville salt flats in the United States. Wow, a hundred times bigger. Yes. It's amazing. It's a massive piece of. <laughs> it is. I mean, you hear about the solar, and most of the times, if people talk about Bolivia, they say, "Oh, the solar," and you must go watch the Cholita wrestling in La Paz, and that's sort of where you stop listening. But if you really get to that solar, if you come from the Lagunas route and you actually see this, it is just, it, it, it leaves you speechless. <laughs> What's around the edge? Like, is it just wilderness around it or are there, there are cities around it? No, there's a lot no, of small communities. Um, small communities. Yeah, very, like very small, like very a farmer, a self-subsisting farmer communities. The biggest way. town closest to it is Uyuni, which is the three-street dirt road type of thing. Um, and then <laughs> the, you know, the rest is just small little. The other biggest town closest to it, I think, is... But the next one is, is Uruguay, 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 the big city. Which, which is more a mining city. Yeah, yeah, about 200 kilometers away. And then Potosi, which is in the mountains, but that's also far. But the closest to it, there is, and because at 4,000 meters, it's not like this lush um, no, um, forest and all this kind of yeah. stuff. It's all it's altiplano, so it's flat brush, brush um, type of bushes. It's typical the the areas where you would find them uh, with vacunas and llama farming and uh, maybe Kin- potatoes. Kinoa, Kinoa, I think they're doing quinoa. Kin- quinoa, they're doing quinoa as well. You mentioned lithium uh, being there, it's rich in lithium. Are they mining for lithium? And what, what lithium is oh, it? Yes. Are it stuff we use in batteries? I'd imagine so. I don't know what, what kind of... Um, it's everything uh, we heard is basically just uh, being mined and sent overseas. They do not do any manufacturing themselves here. Uh, similar to their, their silver and gold. Ah, just raw materials. Raw materials, yeah. yes. And they're sending it off to be refined That's elsewhere. It. Yes. Mm. Yeah, they, they do... Um, they sell salt as uh, tablespoons. So salt, salt is a big industry. And then they do, um, they built, um, the close by community built the houses from the salt blocks. They they make yeah. um, uh, t- t- huts, you know, like. Um, no, they actually use it as bricks. They use it the as bricks. salt as bricks. Oh, so they, they're sawing it out, uh, like, you know, like you'd make a, uh, an igloo sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. They've actually got different um, qualities of salt on the, the solar. And this is actually, we, we learned previously at a smaller solar in, in, in Argentina, is that they actually have the dirty salt, which has got brown marks through it. And with all the years, it's actually built up and it's really, really compact. And that they use as building material. Mm-hmm. Um, so you will hear there's a salt hotel. Well, the actual hotel is built out of salt because it's, it's, it's a really cheap way for them to build and yes for tourism it is brilliant i would think that with the rain that would might be bad <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you would think yeah, but this think. is amazingly hard we even you think of table salt and you put water on it and it dissolves yeah. it's not like that at all because if you're on the solar the, the salt is very very hard i even tried to just break it with my shoe uh, the the new salt growth is very uh, it crumbles very quickly, but the old deposits is extremely hard. Yeah. You but it would, tastes like salt. I mean, I taste it. No, it's salt, salt, but it's <laughs> it's really. And as Mechna said, he broke one of our ten pigs uh, trying to get the thing down on the salar. So, as far as you guys are concerned, this is a must see. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. But you know, Jim, I need to say this. As much as you have to see this a lot, don't miss the rest. Don't miss the rest of Bolivia. And I keep on telling you, don't go and spend six months and try to run from Alaska to to Shire. 
spend three months or six months and do one or two or three countries at best. There's so much stuff. We did, we wrote from, from Sucre to Rura. It's 300 kilometers. It's a 300 kilometer pass road. I've never done so thorough. Wow. But you, you engage the entire road. I've never ridden a pass road like that. It goes over 4,200, 4,500 meters. It's such an amazing place. I think the longest stretch was maybe 20 kilometers where you would be sort of straight. The rest of the time is just switchbacks and just going through. And there's dirt roads that that we've done that. that, Man, it will blow your mind. The the, the wine region is a Mm. must-see. I mean, we're not really city people, but we've now been one week in La Paz really trying to do the touristy thing in this time and using the teleferricos. And man, you can keep yourself busy here. There's so much to experience. There's culture and and the the people are super friendly. I mean... When, before we came here, people said, no, just don't take photos of Bolivians. They, you know, they get angry. I haven't they had don't. It. They don't. Yeah. They, they're nice people, you know. So, But mm-hmm. yes, the Solaris is an absolute massy, but don't come into don't miss the rest. The death road, eat the... The Lagunas Road is beautiful. It's it's not very well managed. And I think that's one criticism I can give Bolivia's government is that they need to take control of the national park in that area because people just ride wherever they want and drive over areas that should be preserved. But it's still quite spectacular. So doing the Lagunas route, ending up at the Solar, spending time there, whether it's wet or dry, it is spectacular. And now we're moving into La Paz and sitting in La Paz and talking to the local motorcyclists and speaking to them and say, guys, where do you go? How do you keep you busy? And basically to sum it up, two hours out of La Paz in any direction, you will find a different world. I mean, if you go... um, say south, you end up in dry, you can actually see the chilly mountains, you can see ice cap. If you go north, you actually go into the Amazon and it's only two hours ride out of La Paz. Wow. So yeah. it is it it is extremely crazy, interesting. Crazy. Yeah. We we're riding tomorrow out to um uh, Copacabana where everybody go. We said okay, oh we don't do that. Okay, we're gonna go and have a look. We got invited to uh, a place which is half an hour from there into the mountains. And we just looked. They've got ice cap mountains. We can go for hikes, these rivers. It looks like green, green, green. It's it's amazing how it changes. All in Bolivia. All, All in Bolivia. Bolivia. <laughs> <laughs> did did you guys think like this before? Like, when, you know, when you started traveling earlier on in your, in your travels, did you have the mentality of slowing it down? Because the reason I say this, I think a lot of people will think of the, the trip to South America, particularly if you're, if you're from North America, you'll talk about or, or have in your mind that idea of Ushuaia and back, right? I mean, that's the trip. Yeah. And you tell yeah. somebody you went, you flew into Bolivia and you stayed there for three months and then, and then flew home. They're probably going to look at you and go, well, Why? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But it's because people don't know, you know, they don't know the stuff. I think people also just um, listen with a little bit of ignorance instead of really um, looking at a country and realizing that, you know, every country has got a society, has got a story. It's like even walking on the street. It, It sometimes blows my mind just looking at individuals and people watching and think, everybody has got a story. Everybody has got a life. And it's the same with traveling. Every country has got so much hidden gems. You just need to go take the time and go find it. But we we were right. We were like that because before we started, you check on Adventure Rider and you check on all these forums and people do 45,000 kilometers or 90,000 kilometers around the world. They do it in six months. You think, wow, man, this is, that's hardcore. 
And then you start riding and the more we ride, the more we figure out, but that's not the goal. The goal is not to do it as quickly as possible. The goal, to, the goal for us is to do it as slowly as possible. But at least it, when you finish with it, you can say, man, I really, because every time you go, I see photos of somebody else, I'm like, how the hell did we miss that? <laughs> we still miss that. <laughs> but to come back to your, your question, Jim, I think Mechnes and I sort of grew into what our we, we like to call it our lifestyle is currently. For us, we, we normally tell people if you live in the other end of the world like South Africa, to travel is expensive because anywhere you want to go other than South Africa, you need to money. fly stuff out and you need to fly yourself out. So when we started traveling initially, we were like, no, we need to do this differently so that you don't have that ridiculous expense every time. And I think this just became because we realized that for us, it's not a trip. For our, us, it's a lifestyle. So it, it, it became a slow travel for us. But I would still say, even if you even if you're just a traveler, you've got three months or six months or use it wisely. Use it wisely. Don't, don't, you know, there's always time to come back and, and see more. To stuff be honest, and, in three months, you can if you go to Ecuador, you can experience a little bit of everything that South America can offer you. If you've got only three months, Bolivia can do the same for you. Chile can give you a different experience that you can almost close your eyes and think you may be somewhere in Alaska or uh, it, it is just so different. So choose wisely. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I guess it does really depend on your goal. And I think most people are, are probably Absolutely. along the lines you guys are, but I mean, other people are just interested mm -hmm. in riding places and maybe the whole thrill yeah. of making the destination, maybe that is it for them. I, you know, I don't know. I, I always hate to, yeah. to tell people that it's wrong, yeah. that their approach to travel, but yeah. it's certainly interesting to talk to a couple no. of people like yourselves that have been traveling for so long and have really learned mm -hmm. over that time that you almost can't go slow enough. No, yeah. I must say, you know, America, for example, lent, lends itself to a nice 1200 GS, long distances, oh, yes. five, 600 kilometers a day, um, you know, that kind of thing. But I think America's got that kind of roads and, and, and places and stuff. Um, but I would do it in South America and I won't do it in, in Europe, for example. I you think it's too, too much. South Africa, you can also, for example, do 700 k's but a day. But yeah. when it lends it, the, the roads lends it to, the, to that kind of thing. But uh, coming back again, it doesn't matter what type of traveler you are, whether you're on a big motorcycle, a small motorcycle, whether you're in a car and a four by four, every country has got such unique uh, routes to, to travel. Even Mechnes and I, we, we are so coming back to South America with four wheels because there's a lot of areas where we wanted and could go with our motorcycles, but we would have wasted time because you would go in, only be able to support yourself to three to five days and then you have to come out again. Where on a vehicle you could actually go and explore the places properly, stay 10, 15 days and really do proper hikes, etc. So there is so much and really it doesn't matter how you travel. Just when you travel, make sure you get the most out of your time. Well, I also think that a lot of the, the nice stuff we got was because we were maybe stuck at a place. We stayed a week. So you speak we, to locals. You speak to locals. So we we got invited to a lady, or a, a lady said she will she will use her, her um, a native dresses, and, and I can do a photo shoot for it. 
And then she invited us to a house and, and, and she dressed us and she up. Dressed us up which is, so we never showed the photos on the internet. Hang on a second, because you're talking really fast there, but it sounds like you were wearing a dress for a photo op. Is that what you're saying? No, it was, it was, it was some, almost a dress. It was almost a dress. But, yeah. but the, the lot of, like yesterday, we went for the the day of the dead. It was, was the first, and then yesterday, take the skulls out of the 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 the, uh, the graves. What do you, I don't know what what it's uh, the, the correct word for it, but they take the skulls out and then they do some rituals of it where they um, celebrate. It's the, a very local, very local belief and, and a, a, a custom. They call it the Nyatitas uh, festival or celebration, where they basically acknowledge the people that has passed on, and they dress up their physical skull with flowers and uh, putting a little altar up. And if this person loves beer, there's a beer next to it, etc. So similar to the custom with Day of the Dead, yeah. this is just one step further. Mm. But the point wow. is that if you if you if you're moving <laughs> every day, you you, you sort you of miss that kind things. of stuff. You miss yeah. those those things. Um, so, yeah, the, 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 some of the nicest photos we got and experience was because we, we, were, we were at the place and we were able to stay another two or three days and then experience. So when we got um, off the Salar, we went back to Tupiza, which is the, the, in the, the south wine of, region, the wine region of, of Bolivia. And then you go over the mountain, another 4,000 meters, and you end up in a, in a also a wine region. They make uh, what they call a local uh, drink, which is called Sangani. It's a... It's a bit of a moonshine thing, but it's, it's, it's the tequila of it's Bolivia. It's the tequila of Bolivia. <laughs> and uh, the lady took us to a, f- a winery from a guy that's, he bottles about uh, 7,000 bottles 7, a year. bottles a year. It's really local wow. stuff. But again, I would have missed that stuff if we didn't have the time to be there to, to get that kind of experience. Slow, I think slow is, is. For us, it works. Well, for us, it works. But I, I think in general, you know. Experience well, I mean, I as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, I, I think that is that's kind of life, isn't it? I mean, it's always that case when you slow down, and I mean, there's so much of it in our society where we talk about it as slowing down and um, sort of experiencing things, immersing yourself more, taking those times out to live in the moment. I, and I think it's it's almost universal, really, no matter what you're doing, that it makes for yes. for a, a better experience and certainly more in depth and more relaxed experience. Uh, you guys, you've mentioned a bunch of times here about culture and you've talked a lot about culture. And of course, your photography really shows that. And We're going to actually have some photographs from you uh, in the show notes for this episode. So uh, you want to check that out and look at some of these incredible photographs. But I noticed that that you engage a lot with culture and you're mentioning there that you're getting photographs of of these women in dresses that you never would have gotten. I've seen some of your photos are are very intimate. How do you get that? What What are you doing to connect and and get so much culture? Like, how do you fit in? You're a foreigner. I wear a T-shirt that says National Pornographic with the National Geographic sign on it to 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 put them into something that I'm not. True story. Nation, national what was that? A, was that a slip? I'll I'll send you a I'll picture of his T-shirt. No, that's that's joking. But Mechnas actually did make this T-shirt for a fun factor because we keep on if we. If he walks around with the camera, the people would say, are you from a magazine or are you from a magazine? So he sort of made a mock-up T-shirt that sort of implicates it's National Geographic, but he misspelled it terribly. It says National Pornographic. <laughs> <laughs> and it is so much fun on its own right because you would walk and maybe every 15th person actually read and then to see their face when they realize what they're reading is just, it's hilarious. But it's actually, you know, people, man, people are nice. You, you walk up to them, can I take a photo of you? And some would say no, and some would say yes, and some would start smiling. And is but, it, 
But I, I think, to be honest, I think it's your attitude. I think it's the way you approach people. You know, looking up, it's difficult now with the damn face masks, but just looking a person in the eye and showing that you're smiling with your eyes and your mouth, it it really opens up people to you. And Mechnes has got this... Um, natural way to just engage people and I think it shows in these photographs these people often ask do you pay people uh, for their photographs and we have to be honest no we don't you know we we just smile greet and show the camera if we can't speak the language and most of the time we've been really lucky how long have you been on the road now well, beginning of November, it will now. It's 10 years since we left South Africa the first time for six months. And then uh, first, we, we used to go back often. So 10 years since we started traveling seriously. But since 2015, uh, we've even packed our home. So we uh, have no base in South Africa even. Traveling to, to start with us. Yes. That, that's, that's a long time. There's no doubt. And you mentioned lifestyle. And the only way that, that traveling can be a lifestyle is if you're making money on the road you, or, or you're covered yes. by some sort of income, you know, you're, I don't Correct. know, you're rich and, you know, and you can, no, you can live endlessly rich. because <laughs> and, and like I, we, were, we were talking about this with um, a couple that were in the last episode that we just did last week talking about um, budgets and they're, they're doing the same sort of thing. They're, they're on the road and they're traveling sort of open-ended and I was talking about running a deficit because if you're running a deficit with your money, there's no way you can keep traveling on the road. The only no, way you can you make can't. it a lifestyle is to make money on the road, is to have some sort of way where you're getting regular income. Correct. Well, this, that's a, that's the thing that you need to, this I the, think that, yeah. it's a, that is where choices in, in life comes in. I mean, if I really like a corporate job, I'm a, if you're passionate uh, let's for have a doctor, it, do it. That's my yeah. absolute passion, and that's what I'm going to do to spend to be that. Um, but there is, and, and there's the other the, the problem with what we do is that it's not a it's not a choice you make today and tomorrow stuff happens. Except if you win the lottery, or yeah, you it, work it, hard it, at it. You have to plan this this stuff five and seven and eight years in advance to be able to. I mean, so we didn't have kids when it was a conscious decision. So if we had kids, we would have changed everything. Um, Creating passive income in itself sounds easy. It's not easy. And, and, and I, can, I, can, yeah. I can tell you up front that it's a really, really difficult thing to, to do. So if people want, yes, uh, pursue it, try and make it happen, but it, it's not easy. But and, be realistic. Be realistic yeah. about it. Passive income is, is something that's going to bring you money when you're not there. If you own real estate and you're renting the real estate out, I mean, all Correct. of this stuff, um, you know, that, that makes passive income is, can but, also turn on you as well. Yeah. No, you don't. Yeah. There's, not, there's no such thing as passive income. You always have to work on You call it passive work. income, but you can yeah. never just walk just away. Walk away it's, it, yeah. I mean, even for us, we, we to be honest, um, we probably should not be on the road as long as we should. And if you look at investments and the way you should manage your property and your money and whatever you do in life, you're always going to have a cost to it depending on how you run it. If you don't run your own business, you have to pay a manager and there is a chance that they won't look after the business the way you would have done. Mm -hmm. And it's the same with traveling. A part of your income, you actually know you're going to lose because you are on the road and there's no quick fixes to be home to fix something or to do something yourself. So be aware that passive income is a very very careful thing to thread around, but it is possible if you really want to do what you want to do. But there's also not the, the fact that the internet has gone, um, well, it's spreading around the world and there's a lot of jobs for, for people. Certainly to makes it easier. So it makes it easier that you can work 
And I, I mean, for sure, I like it. I cannot to, to be a tourist every single day. Also, gets boring, and it, and eventually, it's not going to be. It's not going to be nice. You you're stop. So you when, need some you normality. Need, you need normality, mm. and I like working. I like creating the business. I like designing the stuff. We make the stuff, and there's there's excitement in it, and it's a, you know, so. Even though, and I think we drive it driving people crazy sometimes because we will be like we in La Paz and we've identified three fantastic business ideas and we just want to sell it to somebody and yeah. say we don't want do anything but you need to do this yes. business it will work. Yeah. <laughs> but you know it makes it easy when, when I started doing business with, with Botswana, which is the neighboring country of South Africa, in the 1990s. There was a fax machine and a telephone book. The thing was as thick as a as a brick. I mean, that was the way we did business. There was no now internet so quickly easier. to China or to America and you do yeah. stuff like this or that. And now it, it's a lot easier to... And I think even the pandemic might just have helped people like us in favor because the world is understanding that there is a whole different way you can work. Yeah. You can travel and, and work at the yeah. same time. Hey, you make a good point when you're saying about um, about if you, if you were a tourist every day, you'd get bored with that because... That that's yes. sort of what we look it's for tiring. for adventure, right? I mean, you, you look for something that's different from the norm, and if you don't mix yes. it up, well, then yeah, then no. your life is it could be a drudgery. Some people could say, "Well, I get up every morning and I have to ride so far and go to another place," and and like you guys complaining about your your blue skies. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> but Jim, this is the thing: if you talk to a lot of adventure riders or people that go out on a on a long trip and they want to put a lot of living into a couple of months. If you sit down with them, there's a lot of them that actually gets, I don't want to say depressed, but they get so tired and they don't realize that, hey, just calm down. Do what you do just a little bit slower and you would actually appreciate it a lot more. You won't get travel weary. You would actually do understand what you're doing and appreciate it a lot more. But you can really get very tired if you're just a traveler if that's what you're doing. Um, for us, we make sure uh, every now and again, I book an Airbnb for a couple of weeks or for at least a week at a time. And we try and get a bit of a normal life in. Otherwise, I think you can go a little bit crazy. <laughs> I must say that the riding, the riding is nice. If you, if we, every if time we get it, on the bike, it's no, and you go into the salon, <laughs> and you go into the Lagunas where it's four days worth of riding. There's no internet. There's no, no like, that's nice. I really, really feel that yeah. is my, that is when you disconnect, you unplug, and it, it feels like you're really, you're really recharging you're the batteries. You're doing what you want to do. When yeah. you walk around the pass and you see this, you see that, you take photos, it's nice, but man, it's hard work, and, and you get <laughs> tired of the stuff, and it feels like, yes, now I've done the, this um, the tourist thing, I need to go home to have a holiday with this tourist. <laughs> 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 so, I know it sounds, it sounds strange now, but it's, it's really no, like I, that. I, yeah, I mean, yeah. I get it, I, I know, for sure. I mean, you, 10 years on the road, 10 years traveling around on two motorcycles, the two of you, it sounds like you still like each other. How is that possible? <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been um, married for almost 27 years. So I think we, we, we've got something working here. <laughs> so you think it's going to stick then? You think you're going to work this thing out? Well, we haven't well, beaten each other's He yet, is so. the trophy husband. I yeah. need to hold no, on so, to that. Hey? And I get that. I'm not talking, I mean, clearly you have the better end of the deal, LB, for sure. <laughs> I mean, what can I say? Yeah. Trophy husband, mechanic, and a bike pickup. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm not really, I'm not, I'm not that clever. I can... As long as I've got beer, what do you do when life gets stressful? I mean, how do you handle that when when there's stressful times? Are there stressful times between you? What's that like? 
luckily we we um it's you know it's, it's like it's like your best friend I'm carefully you, listening you, you talk and, and if you if you get a bit irritated with each other you know shut your mouth honest. and walk, walk, yeah, walk away and, yeah. you know it's never a personal thing it's you, you get maybe frustrated I get frustrated about maybe the camera back or something but you it's not you don't take it out on somebody because you you've got something it's a you know it's normal you you get frustrated about something and you try and work it out I but think, I think you it, learn when to listen and when to just yeah, let it just go. Let it go <laughs> so yeah. The other thing is, I mean, if you're back home, you you from away from your spouse, let's say eight hours a day, nine hours when you work, they work, and then you back home. So it's no different, really, than that. When we're on the bikes, we don't we don't sit and chit chat through the yeah. intercom. We, you 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 have your own mind, your own space. So for three four hours when you ride, it's your it's your time. Um, when we work, we we allow each other to. We also have very different uh, interests and we, we sort of allow each other to do what you want to do. So Mechnes is totally the photographer, the, the marketing guy. I'm totally the administration, the data side. Um, and we, we leave room for each other to experience new stuff and to try new hobbies. And yeah, I think it just um, being good friends came comes in very handy. <laughs> That's really interesting. Elizabeth and I, my wife, we've been together since we were 16, 17 years old, something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we get along. We do everything together. We work together. We live together. We're, we're, we're together 24 hours a day. Yeah. And when we travel around, we travel around together and we deal with all the stresses mm-hmm. between us. Uh, and not that ever, everything's easy because I don't think I'm very easy to get along with in general. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but the thing is with it is we do know our jobs. And I think that's something that we've always identified too is that no matter what business we've had over the years, and we've been self-employed since we were like 19 years old, mm-hmm. uh, and we've had a few businesses, we were publishing and, and adventure tours and whatnot, we knew our jobs. Yes. And, and it wasn't like we yes. actually had to lay them out. We sort of fell into what no, we're good at. No, just fell into it. Yeah. And, and mm-hmm. you, once you know your job, you do your job. And and I, I think it's yes. sort of, it, it makes life, I think, easier. I, I don't know. There's There's some sort of formula there that works, I think. Yeah, I, I think I, also I, I'm not very to, fortunate. Yeah. I'm very grateful and thankful that we ended up being like this, and we had the, the cognitive ability to understand, like to you grow say, into to grow the into same your, interest. You think yeah. so? Mm-hmm. We friends, we understand what what is what is good and what is bad, and what we can do and can't do. And uh, you know, I, I I think we're really lucky to to have that. Um, I know a lot of friends that that their wives and they just are so different that they literally together because of kids or something and. I, I um, it, it must be difficult. That must be difficult. I mean, it, 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 this for me is, is security. It, it, it gives, it, it makes life a little bit easier for me to have somebody that you know is is, is more a friend and and um, you know you can rely on them properly and you know what what is what's going to happen tomorrow and what they like tomorrow and all those kind of things. But so I think it's I think also it because easy. we we yeah. open minded enough, and we we've uh, always said whatever we decide is not cast in stone. So yes, we started out saying we're not planning to have children, but we never said never ever ever. If any one of the two of us changes our mind, there would have been that, and it's the same with uh, what we're doing now. We're not going to say this is what we're going to do for the next twenty years. No, we're saying we're enjoying what we're doing now. Who knows what happens tomorrow? You know, I mean, if I was me tomorrow, just stand up and say, listen, I, I, it was really good, but it was enough. I want to go home. I want to um, start drawing stuff for a living. So, I, I mean, I would not be in that same uh, mind, mindset, but, well, okay. We're big well, enough to grow into whatever to, we decide. Yeah, yeah. To sacrifice so well. Okay. <laughs> so there, there's, there's, a, there's no one boss. And, and that's, again, that no. rings true with, no. with Elizabeth and I. There's no one boss. Yeah. No. Uh, you no. know, we, we both respect each other's opinions. I think that's a big part of it. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, always, uh, always great to sit down and talk with you guys, and and uh, I always feel refreshed when I when I <laughs> talk with you and, and hear more about what you guys are doing in life. And I appreciate you taking time out of your. I, I know you're just getting into this crappy weather, which you're enjoying so much, and, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you've taken the time it's to sit down with life. us. I really appreciate it. It's thank you both pleasure. very much. Yeah. No, no thank you for having us uh, for a chat. Yeah. It's- and it's really nice to speak to you again. I was speaking with Mignus and Elsby Olivier from Picky Picky Overland. Their website is pickypickyoverland.com. That link, will, of course, will be in the show notes as always. Now, we've got some great photos from Mignus. Uh, if you haven't seen his photos, I mean, really incredible stuff. Um, great photos that he's taken. We have them in the show notes for this episode on our website. Be sure to drop by and have a look at those. And as with all of our episodes, there's a spot for your comments. So if you have a comment, we'd love to get it on our website there. That's at adventureriderradio.com. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course, to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey, this show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We need your support. If you're not doing it already, drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, click on support. We got a bunch of different ways you can do it. But look, anything $10 or more is going to get you one of our Adventure Rider Radio stickers. Very cool stickers. And by the way, very high grade stickers. We buy uh, 3M stickers uh, where we get them made with using 3M stickers. So they're, they're a high quality sticker that you're getting and they last for years. They don't fade, all that sort of thing. Um, and anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show. That's the show that we do once a month. It's a separate feed. You need to subscribe separately to Raw. Roundtable talks about motorcycle travel and, and other things. So... We would also love to get you on our patron account, which is a, a group of people who support us every month. And it can be any amount. You can put any amount of money on there from a couple of dollars on up to whatever you want. And that helps fund the show. That helps bring you the stories that will bring you. And we, and we work hard at this every week. And I know you guys know this, but I, I really think that, um, you know, if you're if you're enjoying the show, think about what you do with it, like a cup of coffee and what you get out of that and the money that you put out for those small things. Consider supporting Adventure Rider Radio. We, we really need you to get behind us on this. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name's Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I will talk to you next week. 
Hey, I'm Billy Backtruck. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. 